0: Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the pastoral assistant here at Billericay Baptist Church. It is my absolute privilege uh, to share a message with you from God's Word this morning. It is a privilege, but it is also uh, a weight of responsibility uh, that often, uh, as I, I think, as I stand here, weighs heavy upon me because I want to guide you into the truth. And so I pray that God, through his Holy Spirit this morning, will guide us only into the truth. And if there's anything I share this morning that's not of him, that that will be uh, completely blanked out of our minds. Today, as we've already been reminded, is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. It's also known by some as Passion Week or Passion Sunday. I really like that. To be passionate is to have an overwhelming and intense feeling for something or somebody, and Jesus is passionate about this world. He's passionate about you and me. You will find no one in this world who is more passionate about you than Jesus. Passion week is the last week of Jesus' life, which will end in his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, but ultimately in his resurrection. And it's a week where many, many prophecies from the from the, from many hundreds of years ago will be fulfilled. And the events of this last week of Jesus' life are so central, so key to the Christian faith. If you look at the four gospel accounts of the last week of Jesus' life, all four of the gospel writers give a significant amount of time to this one week in Jesus' life. Matthew gives a third of his gospel, so does Mark. Luke gives a quarter, and John gives half of his uh, writings to the last week of Jesus' life. So significant is it. And we're going to read Matthew's account uh, of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which is the beginning of Passion Week. So if you've got a Bible, uh, and I'd encourage you to follow along, we're going to read Matthew 21, verses 1 to 17. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. I wonder if you've ever had to wait on something that you've been promised, and when it happened, it wasn't quite what you had hoped for. Katie made mention of the arrival of the Queen that may well just kind of pass us by. And unbeknown to her, that was an experience that I had when I was aged about nine or ten years old. And as a young boy, I was promised by my parents that I was going to meet the Queen. She was coming to my very insignificant town where I grew up. And so I made my way excitedly with my two sisters to where we were told she was coming. And we joined the crowds. There were people with flags and flowers. They were noisy and exciting. And we hoped, above all hope, that she would come over to us where we were. We waited ages. And all of a sudden, she arrived. But not on foot. But in a car and she was driven as quickly through as quickly as she came and while we were furiously waving on one side of the road she was furiously looking in the other direction <laughs> and she didn't even give us so much as a glance and no doubt her majesty was on a tight schedule and had somewhere else to be next I rather suspect that a lot of the Queen's appointments and plans are put together in such a way that she doesn't have an awful lot of choice about what happens and when for her own safety and security. Those important decisions are taken by others rather than by herself. But when we look at this passage this morning that we've just read, we see Jesus, or certainly I believe we see Jesus, making important choices choices that he makes and it's three of those choices I want us to look at this morning and the first one is this Jesus chooses his time and his place for the last three years Jesus who we today recognize recognizes the son of God and the promised Messiah had been traveling around traveling around Israel teaching healing and performing miracles, making known the kingdom of God. He'd gathered a group of disciples, and many others followed him. But despite all this, Jesus wanted to keep things low-key. He told those that he healed, not to tell anyone what had happened. One day, he, he sits with a group of his disciples, and says, Who do people say I am? The replies come back, Elijah, some say John the Baptist. And then Jesus says to the disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But Jesus turns to Peter and says, and his disciples says, don't tell anyone. Why? Because it wasn't his time. But on this Palm Sunday, Jesus says, now is the time. Now is the day. Where Jesus has been seemingly going discreetly about his earthly mission, he now fully blows his cover. He's about to reveal himself as the Messiah, the long-promised king that God's people have been waiting for for hundreds of years. And when Jesus knows his time is right, He is determined in his decision. One of the other gospel writers tells us that he resolutely set out towards Jerusalem. You know, Jesus knew that he was going to be betrayed, imprisoned, tortured and killed. But he also knew that the hour had come that the Son of Man would be glorified. He was at the doorstep of the dream, on the precipice of God's great plan. You see, Jesus was on a mission to tear down the great divide between God and man, to render sin powerless, to defeat death and set us free. And nothing was going to stop him from fulfilling his mission to rescue mankind. And Jesus, as we've read, was travelling on foot, heading towards Jerusalem via the Mount of Olives, Bethphage and Bethany. And I, want you just to, I just want to stop here for a moment, because that reference to the Mount of Olives, Bethphage and Bethany, is picked up in every single one of the four gospel accounts of Jesus entering Jerusalem. And I believe there's real significance in that. And I want to just go across to the Old Testament, to the book of Ezekiel, And Ezekiel was a man who had some visions. And in one of those visions, in chapter 10, Ezekiel sees the glory of God depart from the temple. And we see it in uh, Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 18 and 19. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple, While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground. And as they went, the wheels went with them. They stopped at the entrance to the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the God of Israel was above them. The glory of the God leaves the temple by the east gate. And then eventually in chapter 11 and verse 23... The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. What a sad picture of the glory of God leaving the temple. But in chapter 43, Ezekiel has another vision, and this time he sees the glory of God return to the temple. He says, Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. And then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And you may be wondering why I've taken you into the Old Testament. Well, This map that's just about to come up shows that exact route. There's the temple in the middle, and the red line is effectively, and we too are separated from God through sin. We're broken. But Jesus comes to restore the glory of God, to bring peace and reconciliation to our lives. The glory of God comes back through the east side and into the east gate as Jesus enters Jerusalem. And so as Jesus comes close to Jerusalem itself, he sends two disciples ahead to a village, and he says to them, you're going to find a donkey and a colt. Untie them both and bring them to me. And if anyone asks anything, tell them that the Lord needs them. I love that little phrase, tell them the Lord needs them. When has Jesus ever needed anything? And yet here, just for a moment, we see the humanity of Jesus who just says, I need this donkey and this colt to fulfil my mission. What does Jesus need from you to help him fulfil his mission of the kingdom of God? Why did Jesus need them? Well, he needed them because he was about to fulfill a very clear prophecy from the Old Testament. Something that would give a massive clue to those looking on as to who he was. Zechariah the prophet had written hundreds of years previously, see your king comes to you riding on a donkey. And here in this first prophecy this, this, this prophecy we see, the first. this is the first prophecy of Holy Week, of Passion Week fulfilled. God's promise kept that he would come to us riding on a donkey. And what do we learn from this? Well, we learn that God is as good as his word. And I wonder today, have you had a word spoken over your life? Have you had a promise, a prophecy from God that you're yet to see fulfilled? I want to say to you this morning, if it is from God, you can trust him. You can trust him that he knows exactly the right time and the right place for that to happen. Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I put my hope. Friends, wait patiently because he is faithful. His promises are yes and amen. So Jesus' first choice is the time and the place. His second choice is one of lowliness and peace. You know what? The very act of riding a donkey or a donkey's colt places Jesus in a position of lowliness. Kings and rulers of Jesus' day didn't ride donkeys. They rode warrior horses and left people in no doubt as to who they were. I came across this this quote, and just in case it's not uh, too clear on the screen, hopefully it is behind me, I'll read it out. Jesus is presented, or he is presented as sheer grace, humility and goodness. And whoever believes that of him is blessed. Look at him. He rides no stallion, which is a war animal. And he comes not with fearful pomp and power, but sits on a donkey. Which is no war animal, but which is ready for burdens of work that will help human beings. And thereby he shows that he does not come to terrify people, to drive or oppress them but to help them, to carry their burdens and to take them on himself. Jesus comes to carry our burdens and take them on himself. You know, lowliness is a part of Jesus' character. Jesus is gentle and compassionate. Luke's Gospel recalls how when Jesus approached Jerusalem, as he came nearby, he stopped, he looked over it, and he wept. This was only one of two times that we know that Jesus shed tears, but really shed tears. He really wept. But was he weeping for himself? No. He was weeping for the people of God who totally lost their way. A nation who turned their backs on God. And even though Jesus was coming to restore all things, they were going to reject him as well. I said earlier that Jesus was resolute and determined as he set out for Jerusalem. And as he rides in, declaring himself as king, he doesn't do so with crown and sword. But he does so peacefully. But peaceful though he is, the crowd who are with him make sure that he's treated like a king because that is what he is. This large crowd give Jesus the red carpet treatment. They lay down their cloaks along the route. This is a sign of respect and submission. And they cut down and wave palm branches which for them had become a sign of nationalism, a sign of belonging. And they praised Jesus with cries of Hosanna. The very word Hosanna means save now, save us now. They believed that Jesus as King and Messiah was going to liberate them, set them free from Roman oppression and restore them as an independent nation and kingdom. And the excitement level that Katie referred to earlier, was rising within the crowd as they enter the city. Someone has estimated that because it was Passover, there would have been approximately one to two million people in and around the city of Jerusalem. And alongside them, 250,000 lambs being driven up towards Jerusalem for Passover. Passover. And sitting above 250,000 lambs was the Lamb of God himself. And the whole city of Jerusalem is stirred and they asked, Who is this? Of course, he was the Messiah, the long-promised saviour, the deliverer and restorer. But sadly for the people, not what they expected. They wanted saving from the Romans, but Jesus wanted to save them from themselves. He wanted to save them as people. The crowd, unfortunately, are blind to their deepest need peace with God and the salvation of their souls. You see, Jesus the King does have a kingdom, but his kingdom has no physical borders, no boundaries. Because his kingdom's made up of people who recognise their need and who give their lives over to him for him to reign. When the king, when Jesus they had so vociferously praised doesn't live up to the people's expectations, a few days later the crowd are honouring a different king, shouting, we have no king but Caesar. And calling for Jesus the bringer of peace, to be crucified. What can we learn from this? Well, we learn that Jesus is gentle and lowly. He is full of compassion. He's compassionate to you this morning in whatever situation you may find yourself in. There are a number of people potentially this morning who are watching this from a hospital bed members of our own uh, church here. I just want to say to you, if you are, Jesus draws alongside you. He is full of compassion and he's full of grace and kindness. And he draws you in. He wants to come close to you this morning. The words of a, a song that we often sing says this, you're my friend, And my brother, even though you are a king. If you need Jesus to draw close to you this morning, in whatever circumstances you find yourself, know that he is gentle and humble in heart. Secondly, Jesus wants to bring peace to our lives. He wants us to know peace with God. And he brings it in an unexpected way by giving up his life on a cross for our forgiveness and freedom and to fill an emptiness in our lives that nothing else can. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're asking like that crowd in Jerusalem, who is this? And I pray this morning that you will find the answers that Jesus is your saviour, your friend, the one who comes to restore you to God And then finally, the third choice that Jesus makes is he chooses to clear the temple. And this is part of the Palm Sunday story, so I felt it right to include it. See, having entered Jerusalem, Jesus goes up to the temple. But sadly, he's not impressed by what he finds. You see, on the outside, the temple is grand. Grand. But on the inside, this beautiful place of worship had become what Jesus described as a den of robbers. You see, people who came to worship at the temple needed a special temple currency in order to buy sacrifices. But the merchants and money changers were cheating people all over the place. And this whole thing dishonoured God. And what was worst of all was that this whole marketplace had been set up in the court of the Gentiles, the only place where non-Jews could worship. Those undertaking and this dishonouring act stood in the way and prevented others drawing near to God. And Jesus was having none of it. And he takes decisive action, driving out the offenders and turning over their tables so deeply Upset was he? Jesus didn't want anyone prevented from knowing and worshipping God. He was about to lay down his life for all. So that all had the opportunity to know God the Father. No one was to be excluded from the grace and love of God. That lavished love that Katie talked about earlier. John 3.16 reminds us God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, male, female, rich, poor, no matter what creed, colour or social standing, should have eternal life. When things calm down, Jesus returns to what he's been doing. Healing blind, healing the lame, and with a backdrop of children shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. And the teachers of the law and the chief priests are completely indignant. And these are the very people who should have recognised what Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah. They had understanding of the Old Testament and of prophecy. How on earth did they miss him? pray this morning that we will not miss Jesus. Despite what the chief priests and the teachers of the law had witnessed, despite seeing Jesus heal right in front of their eyes, despite seeing the wonderful things that he had done, as this passage says, they ultimately, along with the crowd, turned people against Jesus. And I think there's a sobering lesson here for us as church and as individuals because as church we need to make sure that we do nothing that prevents anyone from hearing the love and grace of God and finding the offer of Jesus' salvation. May we never hurt anybody, look down on anybody, ignore anybody, but rather welcome and love every person that walks in through our doors. And as individuals in our workplaces and our communities, may our speech and behaviour be God-honouring, pointing people to Jesus who loves them just as much as he loves us and who desires to be the king of their hearts just as he is ours. Jesus is building his kingdom in the hearts of men and women. This Palm Sunday, we've worshipped Jesus our King. And one day, he will return and we will worship into eternity. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 is a vision of the future of heaven. And it simply says this, there were people from every tribe nation, people and language standing before Jesus holding and I did never have ever seen this before holding palm branches in their hands and worshipping him. That's what we look forward to. But until then may we constantly keep our eyes on the king. May we worship him for who he is. And as we close, can I just put up four things to reflect on? I pray that something of this morning will be a blessing to you and the Holy Spirit will seal something in your heart from his word. Amen.